Good day and welcome to the Mercy Hill Podcast. My name is Lawson Harlow. I'm the pastor of Mercy Hill Church. What you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached during our weekly worship services in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We hope that you will be encouraged by the preaching of God's Word as you aim to follow Jesus and make disciples. For more information about Mercy Hill Church, you can visit mercyhillob.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mercyhillchurchob. Thanks for listening. John chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, We have and are going to continue to look at the personal ministry of the chief shepherd. So John chapter 10 is one of the most beloved passages in the book of John. As we approach it, we see the ministry of the chief shepherd. As a matter of fact, within just pretty much one or two sentences, Jesus makes two of his great I am statements. We've covered a couple of them already, but the ones we'll look at today, um, the first being I am the door, and the second one is I am the good shepherd. We'll primarily focus in on the I am the door portion this morning. Um, But before we dive in there, just as a way of hopefully fixing our eyes to what's before us, um, when we come to celebrate these great moments, and these are great moments, we do so knowing that the only thing that makes this building unique is the glory of God. And this morning, as the saints of God walked through this door, I was reminded of the shadows and types that we saw in the Old Testament of the the glory of God filling the temple. Brothers and sisters, the glory of God did not fill this place when we hung new sheetrock or anything of that nature. The glory of God fills this place when the people of God who are filled with the promised Holy Spirit enter in and the word of God goes out. That's the glory of this place, that Christ is honored and Christ is glorified here. And so with that being said, let's continue doing what we have been doing. So please, for the reading of God's word, stand. John chapter 10, starting in verse 7, making our way through verse 18. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find a pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's pray together. Father, we're reminded of the goodness of our chief, our chief shepherd. Lord, we're reminded of the beauty that he is the door, that the only means of entry into this glorious fold of God is through the person and work of Christ. And Lord, as we come this morning, may our hearts and minds meditate on that. May Christ be exalted as our glorious King. 
And may we, in light of these great truths, worship. Because you are worthy. It is in the name of Christ and through his precious blood we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as I mentioned last week, we are examining the personal ministry of the chief shepherd. Now we're starting in verse, uh, verse 7, making our way down through verse 10. And we'll jump next week to look at the, not only the personal ministry of the chief shepherd, but we will look at the personal sacrifice of the chief shepherd. But this morning we have to ask a very crucial question. How do I become a Christian? And when we consider that, we almost automatically say, well, we've got things embedded in our heads from tradition. It's come forward, say a prayer, and ultimately that makes you a Christian. There is only one means to become a Christian. There is only one means to enter into the fold of the only true God. And it is through His beloved Son, Christ the Lord. And this morning, what I'd like to do is examine the idea of him as the door. But one thing that I kind of want to be our overarching theme this morning is that he is alone, alone, the means of entry. There is no other means in. It does not matter how many other world religions encourage you to be moralistic because ultimately that's not the purpose of the gospel. The gospel is not to make you moral. The gospel is to take dead men and make them live. And ultimately what we have in this saying is Jesus making an exclusive claim. Now the glory of this is it's also a very inclusive claim. So let's dive in and look at what Christ says concerning himself. Starting again in verse 7 it says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse 9, I am the door. Now, what we're prone to do is quickly move past that and see how we relate to the door. But the first thing that we would like to do this morning is to examine why is Christ the door? What does that actually mean, that Christ is the door for the sheep? I mean, we can see later on that it is through entering this door that we have salvation and that we have life. But if we don't understand what it means when Jesus says, I am the door, we'll never truly savor the fact that he is the means of entry. That he and he alone is how we come into that glorious fold. We've said it time and time again, and from not this pulpit, but a different one because this one's even better, um, that, that, in, that in Christ we are not just servants. He's not ransoming us to himself to simply be slaves. He's ransoming us to himself to be his sons and daughters, his sheep in this passage. And that is a beautiful place to be, to have that glorious shepherd reigning and ruling over us. Simultaneously to have that great glorious father ruling and reigning over us. And so we ask the question, what does it mean that he is the door? Well, the first thing that we understand is that he is the only means of entry for the sheep. To kind of give you the picture of what we are looking at from the historical idea, uh, oftentimes shepherds would lay at the, 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 the entryway to a pen. They themselves would actually be the door. But if we recall last week, we'll remember that there was a gatekeeper, and that gatekeeper did an incredible thing. The gatekeeper identified the chief shepherd. He was the one who, at, should you look and understand what the gatekeeper is trying to communicate, he would un, anyone would understand this gatekeeper is pointing to that chief shepherd. And when that shepherd arrived, he knew that shepherd knew every name of the sheep that were in his fold. When Jesus says, I am the door, he is essentially saying, I know which ones I have come for and they will indeed come through me. They will come through me. He is the only means of entering into this fold. Now, if I could take just a brief moment to say that there are people who attempt to enter into the fold by many, many means. 
It cannot be done. There are people who try and enter into the fold of Christ's flock through their own labors. There's no flock there. There is simply a scattering of sheep doing something, doing everything in their power to try to make some type of sense of the world. But in actuality, the only means to enter into that glorious fold to be a sheep of the Most High God is to enter in through the door who is Christ. There are false doors, most of which we fabricate in our own minds and hearts. But hear me when I say this. Should you aim to enter into the Christian faith apart from Christ, you have not entered into the Christian faith. It cannot be had. He is the door, the exclusive. There is not another. There is no other door. What I find so often happen is that there are people who actually love the pen of the gatekeeper who love the law, they like to stay there, and since they like that, but they still kind of like the idea of a Christianity, one who would die in their stead, that perhaps provides them with some therapy for their own sin. They long to stay there, and they claim to be Christians, but ultimately they have not entered in by the door who is Christ. We must enter in by the door who is Christ. If we enter in in any other way, we are liars, and we even see Jesus call them thieves and robbers. Now, this influences, I think, greatly our evangelism. Our intention as we bring the gospel to people is not so that we can do something to maybe coerce them into believing the gospel, to making them say, hey, I like that, that's palatable to me, so I will gladly go with you. Christ is the door, the biblical Christ, not the ones that we see running around that have been created, not the ones that we see that are not truly God, not the ones we see that came to simply die on a cross that we might see him there and and apply his moralistic life to ours. We look to Christ as the one who called out our sin, crucified, dead and buried, raised on the third day, whoever lives to mediate in our stead. That's the Christ who is the door. That's who we enter in through. He is the only means of entering into the fold, the flock of God. Now, there's an interesting idea of a door throughout the expanse of the Old Testament. Now, before we examine these, I just want to say this. It's very important that we understand how to read the Old Testament. When I'm about to talk to two major moments in Israel's history, but I want you to understand Christ is not like these entryways. These entryways are like Christ. They are the shadow and he is the substance. It's so often we look at those things and we expect them to kind of give us some information about Christ. The purpose is that Christ really is the means by which we see them and understand them fully. Apart from him, half, I would argue, more of the Old Testament essentially does not make coherent sense. But with Christ, it is fulfilled and actually understandable to the saint of God. And so what we look at here, these two major occurrences, one, the ark, and the second, the tabernacle. The door that we are looking at, I think, perhaps is the most clearly illustrated by the Ark of Noah. What an incredible thing this was. This Ark would be constructed and there was this great, great um, uh, catastrophe on its way. That the wrath of God was going to be emptied out on a violent and a wicked people. Noah is then commissioned to build this Ark. The issue is that I find perhaps the most glorious thing, the Ark was never given a means by which to close the doors and the doors were far too big for any man to close. The entryway was not just the idea of one walking in, but it was also the idea of being shut in. What we find in the ark of God is a door, a glorious door, that points us ahead to its fulfillment, to its substance. Brothers and sisters, should you enter in through the door that is Christ, you will always be in his fold. Forevermore, Noah on that ark rested. 
It is not as though the ark was being tossed to and fro by the waves and Noah was inside fearful for his life. I would actually argue that not a single drop of water ever touched him. It was covered. It was built, crafted, given by the holy, perfect God, and it was given with a covering, a substance to make sure that not a single drop would ever enter in. And that water is very clearly symbolic of the wrath of God to come. Christ is your better ark. His fold is the better ark. And His door, we do not muster our way through it. Instead, we walk in by His grace and He closes up behind us because we are often prone to wonder. But not only are we prone to wonder, He closes us in that we might actually rest. That ark is symbolic of not only the people of God being being protected, but it's also symbolic of the work that was made it possible for there to be a people of God. There must be something to rescue us other than ourselves. And what we'll find next week is there is a glorious, glorious work of God in the cross of Christ that will eventually, that will actually set us free and allow us into that glorious fold. So the first thing that we see is this door, I think, is very clearly illustrated by the ark. But the second, and I think perhaps the most interesting, is the tabernacle. This tabernacle was guarded by veils. Drew read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25, where we see this grand invitation of God to come in and enjoy his glory, enjoy his holiness. But there's an interesting way. The only means by which we can enter into that holy place is through the veil that is Christ's flesh. The word here, door, is ultimately the word gate. It is essentially meaning a way of entry. What you find in the tabernacle, what you find in the temple, is this glorious veil that is laid. And what do we have at our Lord's crucifixion? The tearing of that veil. Symbolic of not only a tearing of the veil that men might enter in, but symbolic of the better veil has actually come. The one who is the means by which we can enter into the holy places. Being a part of the flock of God means that we get to, by His grace, enjoy holy fellowship with the God of creation. There is no other means of entry. There is no other means of entering into the presence of the holy God. We see throughout the expanse of the Old Testament and even into the New, men who would long to traipse into the the glorious moment, the glorious uh, place of the holy of holies, and they are put to death instantly because, brothers and sisters, we have no right to stand there. We stand, are invited, and we're even called to come with confidence Because of the better door, because of the flesh that has been torn, that is the means of entry that we have to traipse in by his perfect grace, stand there and be welcomed as a child of God. Men have tried this before apart from Christ. They are killed instantly. Perhaps one of the reasons we think we can traipse into the holy of holies so easily is because we don't understand God's holiness. Please hear me when I say this. If you did not possess the perfect righteousness of Christ, you would not be welcomed there. There is never a place more fearful for the sinner to be standing before the holy God without an advocate. Should you stand there without an advocate, rest assured that you have an accuser. It is both your flesh and the enemy. And he will look to you and call you wicked. And God will, in agreement, say, yes, indeed, away with him. But should you come through the door, should you come through the perfect flesh of Christ, if he be your entry, then you will not be cast away. Instead, you will be welcomed there as a son or daughter or the glorious uh, illustration that we have before us as his true sheep that he will not lose. 
he will indeed hold us fast. And so we have that through the door we enter into the fold, through the door we enter into the ark of which we are saved, and through the door we are gladly invited to enjoy the holy, holy, holy God. This is what it means when Christ says, I am the door. And frankly, we could go all the more looking into the clear pictures that we have and even considering the means by which we actually are able to enter. But as we just consider these lightly, I would once again remind you that when we look at the ark and we look at the tabernacle, these things are not, not just there for no reason. They're there to show us this. They're there to reveal what it means to enter in through the person of Christ and in entering in through him, we have fellowship with God. Genuine, gloriously submissive fellowship with the holy God. So we come through Christ who is the door. Now, let's look at probably the question that we'll answer. What does it mean to be a Christian? How do, what, is, what does this walking through the door mean for my life? This is the practical application to a great theological truth. He is the door. So what then happens to those who enter in? Well, if you look, continuing on in verse 9, it says this, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Well, the first thing here is he will be saved. I want you to notice the language here because a lot of times we read over simple phrases like this and we don't allow them to impact us. He will be saved. Not might, not possible, he will be saved. The major overarching thing, one of them in the book of John, is the idea of the saints actually being kept. If you enter in through the door that is Christ, then you can rest very comfortably knowing that you will be in his fold when the days come to an end. When you enjoy him forevermore, you will enter in that place because you have been here by God's grace, purchased by the chief shepherd, entering in through the door. You will be safe there. You will be saved. Let no one come to convince you that Christ is weak. That's one of the major frustrations I have with this, trying to be gentle, foolish doctrine that would lead one to believe that the salvation that Christ purchased for you at his cross, the salvation that he not only purchased for you, but by his grace, the Spirit of God regenerated you, drew him to himself, that he did all of that glorious and perfect work that you could mess it up in the end. No. Christ is mighty. This chief shepherd will lose none of which he has purchased. And should you enter into that door, we rest knowing that we will be saved. If you are his sheep here, you will then be his sheep there. It is not something that can be lost by our faults and our failures. If that be the case, you would never actually enter in through the door. It is through his grace and through his grace alone that you have the ability to walk through that door. In John 6, it makes it clear. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. You enter the gate because the God of creation said and decreed you would enter in the gate. And so we have this great hope that if we enter in through the door, we will be saved, will be, definitive. Now, that's good news. So continuing on, it says this, and we'll go in and out and find pasture. Now, I think all of this links really, really closely to what we have in Romans chapter 5, that since we've been justified, we have peace with God. Peace. This overarching thing that we have is the shepherd. We can look back into Psalm 23 and see this idea of peace with the shepherd, that because of him watching over us and caring for us, that we actually are at peace. And so what I want to like kind of break down here is 
three things. First of all, to go in. Now, what he's making reference to is going into that flock, enjoying that flock, being a part of God's sheep. I am convinced that what you find here is rest at home. When we come into that glorious fold, you actually have rest. You actually have peace. Those sheep are never more comfortable than when they know their shepherd watches over them. That's why you have in that sweet song, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What you have here illustrated is that when we enter in through the door that is Christ, we do not have a lazy shepherd. We have one that because of his watchful care over our souls, we can go in, we can go out, but we have peace with our God. When we consider peace with our God, it is not a ceasefire, which is often the way that's interpreted. It is not a ceasefire. What you have through entering into the door who is Christ is actual peace with God, enjoyment one of another, that he delights in you, which perhaps is the most mind-blowing thing that God would delight in me and you. Not because that we are so perfect, because any examination of our heart would prove otherwise, but because he has provided for us everything we need to be right with him. Since we've been justified, we have peace. Entering in through that door gives us peace at home. Now, secondly, we go in, we go out. Safety in the field. These sheep would certainly be taken to graze. And we know that there have been and will continue to be those who would love nothing more than to devour the sheep, to come after them, to tackle them, to take them away. We have great peace out in the field because once again, we know our shepherd watches over us. That rod that we would consider just briefly, its purpose was certainly oftentimes, as you've probably heard, to break the legs of the sheep should they be prone to wonder, which oftentimes I feel I am in need of. But it was also there because the shepherd's True shepherds were not weak individuals. Their job was to fight off anything that would come and to take the sheep, very often giving their own life to, pr to protect those sheep. We have peace in the field because we have a shepherd who is not weak but is mighty. When we consider going in and out certainly all phases of life, we actually have that peace, not in just some moments, but ultimately throughout the expanse of our lives. Brothers and sisters, when you find yourself in great turmoil and trouble and pain, do not fear for the shepherd is at hand. You've entered into that door. He watches over you. Should those difficulties be brought on by your own sinful nature and fleeing from that shepherd, that rod will indeed break your legs and drag you back. Praise be to God, he does that. Otherwise, we would wonder and wonder and wonder, but oftentimes we find him removing things, getting, breaking us that we might come and rest in his perfect care. But not only amidst the glorious, the, the, I mean, not only amidst the difficulty and the pain and the sorrow, but in the glorious, most perfect, blessed times of life, we have the shepherd watching us. And I'd imagine I'm not alone in this, that there was a time that I wonder most frequently is when everything is going smoothly. The sheep feel safe, they feel secure, and they begin to wonder. But what we have is that glorious shepherd watching over us, bringing us home and telling us, rest here under my care. And the last thing that we have in that phrase is find pasture. Glorious provision, I think, not only foreshadowing the life that we have in Christ here, but looking forward to a true and better pasture. 
the one where not only do we have sin's consequence destroyed, sin's power defeated, but ultimately forevermore, there will be no wolves. There will be no wolves that erupt within our own hearts. There will be no wolves who long to drag us away. Instead, you have the chief shepherd who is not only a good shepherd because he has protected us from them, but because he has gone throughout the entire expanse of creation and removed anything that would lead us astray. He has conquered every foe. This is the might of the good shepherd. When we look at this, we consider the peace that was here. But brothers and sisters, do not ever forget that the peace that is here was bought. It was a great and strong fight but not for the omnipotent God of creation who conquered every foe, triumphing over them in Christ. And there will be that sweet day, as Psalm 110 says, where he will rest his feet on his enemies. They will indeed be his footstool. And so what do we have? For those who enter in through the door, we know that they will be saved. They, we, we see that here below as our shepherd watches over us, and we look forward to the day when we will enter into even better doors, to walk into that glorious place, to have our chief shepherd watch us all of our days into the expanse of eternity, of which we can't even play with the numbers because they're not there. This fold is eternal. This fold is eternal. We will rest in him all our days. Now, there is a warning here. Perhaps one of the most, I remember memorizing this as a kid, is verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, our Lord does not desire us to be ignorant of the fact that there are people who come to steal, kill, and destroy we look at this, we see in a previous chapter, we see ultimately that this major one who's coming to steal, kill, and destroy is none other than the Pharisees that would come and to place a burden on the people of God who have indeed been set free, but they themselves are even a shadow of a worse enemy. They are sons of the devil. Their intention is to come and place a burden on the sheep of God that is no longer actually there. And what is that burden? That burden is the law weighing down on the saints of God. The law that has actually been perfectly fulfilled in their chief shepherd. He has fulfilled all righteousness. We uphold it not because we are perfect, but because he is. The law is perfectly fulfilled, and should we long to stand before God on the day of judgment and present our own righteousness before him, he will say, away with you. It is only resting in the perfect righteousness of Christ that we actually are able to enter in. And there are those, and there are many of those, that long to place on the saints of God two major things. First of all is legalism. Legalism, not in the sense of you being holy. That's not at all what we're talking about here. Brothers and sisters, if you are a saint of God and you do not long to be holy, I will question whether or not you are a saint of God. If you actually know, if you've seen the glory of the, of the, the immutable, unchangeable God and you are no, not changed at all, it doesn't create in you a desire to look like Him. If the Holy Spirit of God is not working that out in your life, then ultimately I would say that you've never seen that glory at all. That you have something fabricated in front of you. But... There are those, and I am convinced that there are those who have indeed entered into the fold of God that still rest with the weight of doing it yourself. This weight is not for you. This weight has been removed in the perfect and complete work of Christ. Should you be doing something to contribute, to add to your salvation, please, by all means, cast that burden away. Would you look to the cross and see it finished? 
and then aim for holiness because God actually has accomplished everything necessary for salvation. You work from your salvation, not for it. You can't work for it. It is only in his finished work that we can look at the law and say, though Christ has fulfilled it perfectly, my goal, my delight, my desire will be to keep it, that I might honor him, for he is good. Not only would the legalists come to steal, kill, and destroy, I think oftentimes the licentious do. Those who would come and grab the sheep and say, you're free, right? Live in your sin. Grace abounds. Should we sin all the more? Should you find yourself snared there? If you would look around, if you would see the ones who would be leading you there, and then you would see the saint of God who aims for holiness, you would see that Christ indeed bought you, that you would see that great penalty of sin being death and not a gentle one. Why and how? How can the saint of God love and embrace that for which Christ died? He cannot, she cannot flee. And those who would lead you this direction, those thieves and robbers, flee from them as well and run to your true and better shepherd. There are those who come to steal, kill, and destroy. But... The beautiful news is that we have this next phrase of which, oddly enough, many thieves and robbers have taken and abused. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. So two things here, and we'll define terms in just a minute. So the very first thing is that he, we may have life. You understand that him coming to give us life means that we were void of it? There was no need for him to come and give us life if we actually possessed it. That's why Ephesians 2 is so very important and very clear. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Brothers and sisters, it's important to know that apart from Christ, you don't have life. It doesn't matter how good and clean your corpse is. You are still dead. That the life, the only means by which we can actually live is through the finished work of Christ and entering in through that door. He is life. But not only that we may have life, but even going past that, he says, life abundant. You know, this is interesting language. What is, what is it that makes life abundant? Now, I just mentioned that there are many thieves and robbers who would take this and say, well, it's having stuff. It's having some type of material wealth or being healthy, wealth, and wise throughout all the days of your life. But the scripture actually makes this abundantly clear what life actually is. Life is knowing Christ. That is how, that is what life is. Should we aim to have life in a different fashion in some other format? You won't find it. You'll just find a different form of death. It is only through the finished work of Christ that we can enter into the door that we might enjoy him forevermore. It is only in entering through the door that we live. The whole premise of this is not just come into the fold. The whole premise of this is saying, come into the fold and have life. You're dead sheep. You need what I have to offer. And you will never live unless you come into this glorious fold and enjoy me. The premise is you enter into the door that is Christ to adore Christ. That's the whole point of this. You come in through the door. He is the means of entry and he's the object of joy. It's almost as though you begin, you finish the race where you start. So often we find ourselves walking into the Christian faith and then swerving left and right. No, it is the simple means of entering into the door and having our eyes forever fixed on him. That is the Christian life. That is life. 
And God, in His grace, gives it to us, not with just a little bit, but His great delight is to give it in abundance. The Greek word means a lot. To actually have it all. It is for you. The great tragedy of the Christian life, I think often, is that we don't long to have it in abundance. We're good with a little bit here and there. We're good with ounces of glory. Saints, never be content with ounces of glory. Sitting before you, very likely, most days of your life, is the glorious word of God in which he communicates his perfections. How dare we only long for ounces of glory when he has come and, as we'll see next week, laid down his own life that you may have it in abundance. 